Heavenly Father, you are almighty. All the might belongs to you. So we do not boast in our strength today, but we boast in the greatness of your power. And we come to you, Lord, today recognizing that your power is made perfect in our weakness. So we bring our thorns in the flesh, those things, Lord, that have beset us, messengers of Satan sent to buffet us, those things which trouble us and disturb us and burden us, and we bring all of them and lay them at the foot of the cross and recognize, God, that in the cross of Jesus Christ, we find the power we need to live. And we give you thanks in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. God is good. All the time. You know, I don't like to stand in line. Maybe I'm not alone in that. Um, But I'm always kind of curious about what people are waiting in line for. I'm like you. I don't want to miss anything in life. And uh, so this week, uh, one of our sons and I were at the mall. We were going to buy a computer for him to go off to college because you can't go to college without a computer. Maybe you didn't know that, but um, things have changed in the last 28 years. I'm not sure my parents gave that any thought, but we're giving that a lot of thought. And as we're walking through the mall together, we notice this long line leading to who knows where. And Graham looks over at me and says, I hope that doesn't lead to the Apple store. And I said, I hope it doesn't lead to the Apple store either because I'm on lunch and I don't have time to wait in a long line today. But as we made our way up this uh, serpentine line and watched the people and looked at them, they all looked very anxious. And we got to the beginning of the line. Yes, sure enough, it led right into the door of the Apple store. And with temerity and audacity, I looked at the first person and said, what are you waiting for? And he said, I'm waiting for the new iPhone, the G3, which I had not heard of. Maybe you have not heard of, or maybe you have, but I was glad that was not what I was buying that day. So we walked right past him, right into the store. That was what they were waiting for. And uh, we went and got help. And uh, later in the day, I came back and I was sitting in my office and I looked on the Christianity Today website. It's a good Christian magazine. And there on the website was a survey question. And I just want to share it with you. This was the question, which of the mortal sins does the iPhone cause you to commit? And the first one was lust. I desperately want one. The second option, gluttony. I already have a phone, but I want the new iPhone. Maybe two or three of the new iPhones. That would be gluttony. Greed. I want one because it has features not available anywhere else. Sloth. If I got one of those phones, all I would ever have to move for the rest of my life is my thumb and my jaw. That's sloth. Wrath. I'm about ready to wring somebody's neck over all the iPhone hype. Envy. We think a lot about how everybody else has an iPhone except us. Or pride. Now this one fooled me. I have an iPhone? No. Pride. I have demonstrated impressive self-control in not buying an iPhone. Well, there's plenty of sin to go around, isn't there? And I want us to come back, if we may, to seven deadly sins and particularly I want to come to one today where I think sin actually begins the sin of pride we might have started with this one but we come to it now to think together about pride and I don't just want us to see the sin I want us to see the solution for that sin and perhaps uh, we can uh, understand what the writer of Proverbs meant when he said God resists the proud but he gives grace 
to the humble. You know the verse, pride goes before destruction and haughty eyes before a fall. And today, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Would you open your Bibles with me? I want to think with you about pride in the worst sense of that word. We use it in different ways, don't we? But Proverbs chapter 9, verse 23. And then I'm also going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Counsel from both the first and, and the New Testaments, uh, the old and the new. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Jeremiah 9. Verse 23, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, after Paul talks about the message of the cross, which is foolishness to the world, but it is the wisdom of God and the power of God. And he writes to these people in Greece where Athens is, where Socrates and Plato and Aristotle came from. And I want you to hear what he says to these believers in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, Brothers, we would say brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. You may be seated. Okay, so what's wrong with pride? And we take pride in lots of things. We take pride in our country. It's a good thing to take pride in our country. We, uh, we take pride sometimes in accomplishments and achievements and family members. And, and is God saying to us, I don't want you to be proud because I just don't want you to ever feel good about anything in your life. Well, of course not. So what is the pride that he addresses here? You know, the the New Testament says very, very little about pride. Pride is rarely ever mentioned in the New Testament. But the word boasting is Paul's equivalent of the negative image of pride from the Old Testament. And what he has to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is just like what Jeremiah was saying in chapter 9. When you realize what God has done for you, You can't afford to spend your time or your energy bragging about yourself. Because when you think about it, all of life is a gift from God. The very air we breathe. I was reading in that book, The Same Kind of Different as Me, 
about the man who uh, lived on the street and he was always so happy. And somebody said, why are you so happy? And he said, because I woke up this morning and I breathed. And that's reason enough for anybody to be happy. It's kind of a simple perspective on life, isn't it? But when you understand that all of life is a gift, our relationships, the joy of family, the, the, the hope that we have of eternity, all of these things are gifts from God then we're not so obsessed and consumed with self. And the pride which we must avoid is that sort of self-centeredness that focuses on independence from God that says, you know, I have it so good, I don't even need God. I can make it without Him. That is a dangerous place to be. That is a dangerous way to live. And he says, if you just understood what God had done for you, you would hear Jeremiah saying, If you're going to brag, brag about God. Think about the God who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness. And and Paul says, in contrast with the wisdom and the wealth and uh, the strength of this world, think about the wisdom and wealth and strength of God, the God who has become to us the wisdom of God through Jesus Christ, who's given us everything we need in Christ When you and I are consumed with Him, when we are so busy worshiping God, we will have no time for self-worship, no time for boasting about self because we are so busy boasting about our God. Let Him who boasts, let her who boasts, let us boast in the Lord. Let me show you two ways of life. The one way is the way in which we spend our time boasting about ourselves. And the Scripture is very clear. Do you know where that leads? It leads to destruction. If I boast in myself, it leads to destruction. It is very clear to us. There are examples of this. We find examples in the Old Testament, the story of Satan. When he falls from heaven, he exalts himself against God. He vaunts himself against God and he falls to the earth. It's found in the book of Isaiah. And then you find a very similar story in the book of Acts chapter 12 where we see the story of Herod. And Herod has that very difficult thing next to death. The one thing we fear the most is what? Public speaking. And Herod stands up and speaks. And when he speaks, they say, this is not the voice of a man. This is the voice of God. And it says, I want you to hear this. Acts chapter 12, verse 23. And because Herod failed to give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him and he died. You know what it read on the autopsy? He died of what? He died of pride. He, the pride that he had led to the very loss of his life. And you and I can become so consumed with self sometimes that we become a sort of me monster where it's all about me. It's all about I. Enough about you. Let me talk about me. It's all about me. And Jeremiah's answer to that is, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. As smart as we are, we're not so smart that we have lost our need for God. And when I read these new intellectuals who have sort of uh, reinvigorated atheism in our world, when I read these writers, and I have to admit to you, when I read their writings, I think these people are very smart. But then when I read their conclusion, I think these people are not very smart. They fulfill the poem of T.S. Eliot who said, All our knowledge brings us nearer to our ignorance. And all our ignorance brings us nearer to death, but death brings us no nearer to God 
Where is the life we have lost in living? It's an important question, isn't it? Where is the life we have lost in living? When you and I forget that God is the the great one, the one whom we need to know, when we forget that it's who you know, and we start thinking it's about what we know, that's a dangerous way to live our lives. And we find ourselves rather like that turtle who wanted to go on a vacation. And he uh, lamented to his friends, the geese. He said, you get to go everywhere. You just take off and fly. But here I am stuck in this little pond and... He said, I have an idea. I tell you what, here's a rope. I'll hold on to the rope. This was a snapping turtle. I'll hold on to the rope. You take the sides of the rope and you take me on a vacation to Florida. And the geese said, that's a good idea. And they took off and they were flying and everything was going great until a farmer down below looked up in admiration and said, wow, what a wonderful idea. That is ingenious. I wonder who thought of that. And the turtle just couldn't resist. He opened his mouth and said, I did. (laughs) This is what happens to people who boast in their own wisdom, they come crashing down. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Jeremiah 9.23 Let not the strong man boast of his strength. Think about how much energy we put into physical fitness and it's good to take care of our health and I'm very serious about that. But if we for a moment think that we are strong enough to sustain ourselves, we are sadly mistaken. Let not the strong man boast of his strength. He says, let, let not the rich man boast of his riches. We can boast about God and say, look what God has done. And then allow God to use us in wonderful ways with the resources he gives us. But if at any moment you and I say, you know what? I like, you remember the barn builder in Luke chapter 17? I have so much stuff. I think I'll tear down these barns and build bigger barns and say to myself, soul, you have much goods. Like, you've got it made. And in that moment, his soul is required of him. I think the moment you and I begin to think that anything we have done is because of our own strength and our own accomplishment and our own achievement, I think the party is over. I was contemplating our new building and I I have to tell you how I glorify God. I just drive by some night when the lights are on inside and see the, see the light reflecting back in the hands holding the world and the beautiful stained glass and the cross over the world. And I glorify God for that. But it just occurred to me this week that if at any point in my life, as I am preaching, I take any credit for one brick or one stick, we will empty that place of power because only God gets the glory. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. Be glory because of your love and your faithfulness. And it's our joy to be faithful and to be used by God. But at the end of the day, my story and your story is not my story or your story. Our story is His story and it's His great drama. And the great story, the story the world needs to hear is that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And so you and I could get caught up in ourselves. And and if we do, we find ourselves in a desperate place. We're all sort of concerned about the price of gasoline these days. I read about this obnoxious person who had, do you have any friends like this? One of those little foreign cars that got the best gas mileage in the world. It was all he talked about every day at work. And his friends finally had had enough. You know what they did? They got these little portable gas containers. And when he wasn't looking, they put gas in his car. Let me show you where this went. He'd been bragging, I get 50 miles to the gallon. I get 50 miles to the gallon. One day he came in and he said, I get 90 miles to the gallon. My car gets more better, better gas miles than anybody in the world. Better than three cars and all of this. And then they stopped putting gas in his car. 
And they watched the disillusionment as he wondered, what happened to my car? It used to get 90 miles to the gallon. I was wondering, do you have friends like that? Because I do. (laughs) And I just have to tell you, we need friends like that. We need people who won't let us take ourselves too seriously. So that when we boast in ourselves, somebody will say to us, hey, if you keep that up, that's going to lead to destruction. It's a path to self-destruction. Let me show you a better way to live. What if we didn't boast in ourselves? What if we, in humility, boasted in God? What if he was all we wanted to talk about? Like the couple that I married yesterday here in this place. And all they can think about is each other. And they didn't even come to church last night, can you imagine? I mean, they just... They're just so in love with each other. That's all they can think about. And when you and I are head over heels in love with Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, He is all we're going to want to talk about. He's all we're going to want to sing about. He's all we're going to want to speak about. When we understand what He has done for us, He says, here is our God. He is the God whom you can know. Isn't that good news? Jeremiah 9, 24. If you're going to boast, boast in this, that you know and understand the Lord. Ezekiel said to the Lord when the Lord said, can these dry bones live? He said, Lord, you're the only one who knows. The Lord knows. And God says to him, you know what? I know that you know that I know, but I want you to know me. I really want you to know me. Because if you know me, you will understand that I am the Lord. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness. The word in Hebrew is hesed. It is a word of covenant faithfulness. It's the word of of Hosea when his wife Gomer left and he loved her and he waited in faithful, unconditional love for her to come home and welcomed her back into his home. It is the unconditional love of God who so loved the world that he sent his only son. God exercises kindness. Hasn't God been kind to us? Think about the God who loves us with justice in a world where we wonder in places like the Sudan, will there ever be justice for the people there? Will there ever be justice in the face of the war crimes there? God is the God who exercises justice, who exercises, he says, righteousness. That word in Hebrew is beautiful. It's the word straight, tzedek, straight ahead, that we live in a crooked world But God makes the crooked path straight. He even makes crooked people straight when they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's what Paul was saying to the church at Corinth. He said, do you think you've got wisdom in Greece? You're proud of your wisdom. You're proud of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. He said, let me tell you about real wisdom. His name is Jesus Christ. It's because of God. Verse 27 of of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, but God, you're talking about you, but God. God is the, is the real story, he says. It's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. It took God to take people like us and put us in Christ. And when we were in Christ, then we found out what the real wisdom of God is. What is that wisdom? Look at verse 30 with me and he says, This is wisdom from God, our righteousness. Well, not really our righteousness, but God's imputed righteousness. Not what we've done. But what God has done. Listen, you want to know righteousness? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know this verse? 21. You know 17. If any person is in Christ, that person is a new creation. But verse 21 says, God made him who knew no sin. That's Jesus. He knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now that's a story that needs to be told. That God could take an unrighteous person like me and make me righteous. That's a real story. The world needs to hear what God 
has done. He says, you want to hear the wisdom of God? It's our holiness, sanctification, not our own sort of holier-than-thou attitude. As John MacArthur said, some of us are so convinced of our own holiness that if there were a vacancy in the Trinity, we would apply for the job. But God's not looking for people who are holier-than-thou. In fact, people who are really holy are never holier-than-thou because we know we're not holier than anybody. But we have the holiness of Christ within us. He has set us apart. He has taken our lives and consecrated us and sanctified us and made us His very own. It's His holiness. It's His redemption, He says, that He purchased us. This is God's story, that He bought us, not with perishable things, Peter says, like silver and gold. They could fade away. But He could purchase us with the precious blood of His own Son. And who can put a value on that? On the priceless blood of Jesus Christ. This is our story. This is our song. Praising our Savior all the day long. I think all my life I've been singing songs about redemption. I will sing of my Redeemer. I remember singing that from the Broadman hymnal. I remember when the new 75 uh, hymnal came out. And, uh, and singing redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I remember when I was in college when Keith Green's plane crashed up in East Texas, up in Lindale. And remember his song, There is a Redeemer, Jesus God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. This is the song of redemption. This is our song. And it begins, he says in verse 18, with the foolishness of the cross, which is foolishness to the world. So Dawkins, that atheist, was talking with, uh, uh, with a great Christian, Francis Collins, the head of the Human Genome Project, a great Christian who is also a great scientist. They're not contradictory, by the way. And Dawkins, uh, this atheist, said to Collins, I'm not saying that the idea of a God is preposterous. He says, I've just never seen a, a God of, I, uh, an idea of God that satisfied me intellectually. He said, when you tell me God is like a person who lived 2,000 years ago who was crucified on a cross, he said, that seems so small to me, so parochial, that's his word. I think the cross of Jesus Christ, what do you think? I think it's anything but parochial. In fact, I think it has cosmic implications. It's why Jesus, as he was entering into the city of Jerusalem on the, the, the great triumphal entry, uh, John tells us a, a little bit more of the story, doesn't he? In John chapter 12, uh, verse 32, he says, Jesus looked at all those people and said, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all people to myself. Oh, I think the cross of Jesus Christ is big enough as we see it in the beautiful artwork in that window over there to cover the whole world because God's hands are big enough to hold the whole world. And He has sent us out to the whole world. And here's the end of the story. You want to see it? Do you know this part? You know the end of the story from Revelation chapter 7 where it says there's a great line, a great multitude of people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and they come together and what are they singing? They're singing, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb, to the God who sits on the throne, Almighty God, we heard this morning, and to the Lamb. And they sing day and night, those people who stand in that line. What do they sing? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wisdom 
and wealth and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I'll tell you something about that line. You want to get in that line. You want to be in that line. When the roll is called up yonder, you want to be there. When all the saints are gathered together, you want to be there. You want to say with the psalmist in Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord as long as I live. His praise will continually be in my mouth. The afflicted will hear and they will rejoice. Come, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. And we will sing to Him forever and ever. And I'm telling you, you want to be in that line. Because when we wait in that line to sing to Him, we will no longer have any consciousness of time. We will not be concerned about what time it is because we will know what time it is. It is time to boast in the Lord. And that time starts right now. Let's pray. Father, thank You that Your solution to our pride is not just our feeble efforts at humility. We're not very good at being humble, Lord. But when we see the humiliation of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. We understand just how much our pride really costs. So help us, I pray, Lord, to turn from our pride and to receive your grace. By grace, we are saved through faith. So that we can't boast. Because our only boast is the cross. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen.